Thank you for taking the time to listen to this message from Stonebridge United Methodist Church. We hope it encourages you to live and love like Jesus. My name is Sandy Tutwiler, and I'll be reading 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 10 through 13. The one who supplies seed for planting and bread for eating will supply and multiply your seed and will increase your crop, which is righteousness. You will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous in every way. Such generosity produces thanksgiving to God through us. Your ministry of this service to God's people isn't only fully meeting their needs, but it's also multiplying in many expressions of thanksgiving to God. They will give honor to God for your obedience to your confession of Christ's gospel. They will do this because this service provides evidence of your obedience and because your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Sandy, thank you for reading the scripture today. We appreciate you doing that. So uh, we are talking about the difficult conversations around money today. So let me start by throwing some money trivia at you. Um, The first penny that was made in the United States was made in 19, no, not 19, 1787. 1987 is much more recent. Um, 1787, it was designed by Benjamin Franklin, you might remember, and it had uh, the the saying on it, the Latin phrase, e pluribus unum, out of many, one. We'll say more about that in a little while. Um. Oh, no, it didn't have that one on it. It had a different one. Do you know what the saying was? Mm-hmm. Mind your business. On the first penny in the United States, 1787, Ben Franklin had to put on there, mind your business. I don't think he meant mind your own business. That's kind of a different message, right? I think it's, but, you know, mind your business. This is important. This is our first penny in these United States. The eagle on your money has a name. From 1830 to 1836, in the Philadelphia U.S. Mint building, which, because there's no air conditioning, these are all open air, there was a a bird that would swoop into the building and and sit while the workers were there, and it it was some kind of eagle. And so over time, they actually gave it a nickname, Peter the Mint Building Eagle. That could be the model of the eagle that is on your money. Uh, Last one, last one. U.S. Bureau of Engraving and Printing uses nearly nine tons of ink a day to print 26 million currency notes a day with a face value of approximately $974 million a day. That's kind of staggering when you start thinking about that, right? Well, we are going to look at a biblical teaching about money the role and the purpose of money in our lives, uh, in our world, what that means for us. Uh, and I'm, we are going to get to that, but I also want to, for just a minute, talk about the, the conversation part. You know, these are difficult conversations that uh, in our culture anymore, it's kind of, a, we're afraid to have conversations. Afraid it's going to escalate too quickly, we're afraid it's going to blow up, whatever it is. Uh, and so uh, we're talking about what it means to have those kinds of conversations. I think it's important for us Christians to kind of model what it looks like to talk about things that are, yes, big, important things and things by, on which we might disagree. So how do you do that in a way 
that is responsible in a way that reflects a Christian values. So, in the very first message in the series, we looked at Paul's letter, Paul's speech in Athens in Acts chapter 17. That really, if you just pay attention to what he did, how that goes, it kind of became a template for what it, what it could look like in a conversation with other people. You know, seeking first to understand, uh, find a connecting point with the person. Even if you're disagreeing on the topic, what's something you would have in common with that person? How would you, how would you do that? And, and, and to always remember that you're planting seeds. Because even Paul, it, by the end of it, some people were like, just rejected him outright. <laughs> Said, get out of here. Some of them were like, well, we're really curious. We want to have more conversation. And then some just believed right off the top. You're planting seeds in these conversations. So let me talk about a little bit more uh, of that today because I think these, these are all important kinds of things. So to have better conversations, just a few things to consider. One of them is change your mindset about this kind of conversation. When you think about um, a conversation with somebody maybe about politics or race or whatever, then sometimes we just kind of immediately go, oh no, <laughs> this will not be fun. We imagine it to be just volatile right off the bat, right? Well, don't think of it as a confrontation. It doesn't have to be a confrontation. It really can be just a conversation, especially if you own, I'm here to have a conversation. The other person is not, well, okay, that's on them. I'm here to have a conversation. So don't think of it as a confrontation. Think of it as an opportunity. You're going to know more about this person. Maybe you'll learn a little bit about why they think the things they think. That could be a helpful thing to know that. You're planting seeds in this. I think a second thing to do is to always in, in a difficult conversation of any kind, I think always kind of, I said this the first week too, check yourself. What's going on in me? What's going on? Probably a lot of emotions bouncing around. Uh, you may be trying to uh, think about, what am I going to say next? Sometimes one of the things to do at that moment is to take a deep breath. Just gives you two seconds where, man, a lot can happen in those two seconds. You know, when we get stressed, we breathe more in a more shallow way, right? Just, and, and more rapidly. So if you take a deep breath, it just kind of invigorates you in those difficult conversations. One of the things when you're checking yourself is to think about what boundaries are at play. What boundaries? I mean, we all have boundaries. Uh, if, if we're in a conversation with somebody and they're being disrespectful to me, well, they've broken, they've stepped across a boundary, right? It's okay to say, I'd appreciate it if you don't speak in a disrespectful way toward me. They crossed a boundary. Or if they call you names, or if they lump you in, you know, oh, all of you, fill in the blank. Well, hang on, I'm, I'm a person, just talk to me, they've crossed a boundary. Now, the other kind of boundary to think about is the boundary of the things that, of, of your actual knowledge about the topic at hand, right? Your knowledge, not just what you've heard, <laughs> what you know about it. Years ago, uh, I was in a different, different city, different church, and uh, there was uh, a piece of policy going through the legislature uh, and the Congress, uh, and it was getting a lot of attention, and there was a lot of you know, heat around it, not so much light, but a lot of heat, and uh, someone asked me what I thought about it, and I said, well, I, uh, from what I know, which is not much, to be honest, I, it sounds like it could be really good, I mean, it's not perfect, because... 
Because you know there's no such thing as perfect legislation, right? There's no such thing. It does not exist, period. And I said, but I, I don't know there's some problems with it, some challenges to it, but I, I, it sounds like it might be okay. And he says, well, what, were you for it? And I said, well, I'm not sure yet. And he said, well, how can you not be sure? Have you not heard about it? And I said, well, sure, I've heard about it. I've heard other people report about it. That's very different than me knowing about it. I said, I haven't read the legislation. I haven't, so, I, I mean, I can't speak with any authority on it. I've heard reports. Social media, news media, I've heard reports. That's all those are. They're news reports. And I, I can't answer that question. I had a boundary. I, I understood. I'm, I'm not going to say more than I know here because sometimes that can get you in trouble, right? So check yourself. I think a third thing is to, is to really listen to understand. Again, in our, in, our, in our culture, we tend to not want to understand each other. We just want to win the argument. And, and often what we're thinking about is we're waiting for them to say something that I can hop on and say, ha, no, you're wrong there. We're listening to argue. Instead of listening to understand. Just because you want to understand a position doesn't mean you agree with it, doesn't mean you're going to adopt it. You listen to understand. Next, be compassionate. Show empathy for that person. Show empathy for that person. That they're a person. They're a person. You may have different views on things. They're a person. And the person is always more important than the topic. In the end, you may not agree at all. That person is more important than the topic. And if they're just exhibiting wild, raging anger, have you ever, have you ever stopped to think, wow, they've got some real trauma in their life? Or maybe they've, wow, things may not be going well at work. Because, wow. In a sense of compassion, think about, wow, that's a lot going on in that person. I, I don't, if I don't have it in me, I'm not going to reflect it back. Be compassionate. And the last one I'll mention is keep your emotions in check. Now, I'm not saying don't feel. <laughs> I'm not saying that's not going to happen. You will. I'm just saying, hey, just hang on to them. You can deal with those later. If you need to go home and scream into a pillow, that's fine. Uh, or scream in the car going down the road. Um, I've heard people do that. Uh, so so you may need to deal with those emotions, but in the moment, be a non-anxious presence. Often that will de-escalate the difficult conversation by itself, right? Just take a deep breath, de-escalate the conversation. Just non-anxious. I'm not going to be anxious about this. I'm not going to be rageful in this moment. All those help us have difficult con these difficult conversations, whether it's about the big, the big issues, you know, politics or whatever, uh, but it also can help even in just interpersonal kinds of difficult conversations. And as I've talked through those, you might have thought of some situations in your past. You might have thought of times when you, you were engaged in a conversation like that, and, and you might have had those moments, as I do when I think about it. I think, oh, I didn't handle that one very well. Yeah. Mm. That was, I didn't do very good on that one. So now I know, I know more. I'll do better next time. Right? Doesn't mean you're just going to fail every time you do that, but okay, well, I learned something. I'm going to do obey. I'm going to do better this next time. So those are some good things just remember when you're having these difficult conversations that we've had talked about with politics and with religion and uh, today with money and next week with, with race. 
important things to remember. So, on the topic of money, we're going to talk about money today. On, um, why would anybody have strong feelings about money? Right? You all use money, you have money. Uh, and really, I mean, I guess you might think it's just kind of a, a non-issue until you mention taxes. <laughs> yeah, government assistance. Personal debt, personal wealth, yeah, economic policies. All of a sudden, blood pressure starts to go up. It has to do with money and the use of money. And all of a sudden, we're interested. In, in our culture, I mean, it's, it's pretty much purely uh, our culture just says you just need more money. And so we kind of have this this overall mentality of, I just need to get more money. Whatever I need to do to get money. And the dream of many people, and, and man, especially those heavily influenced by social media, thinking, I, if I could just be rich by the time I'm 25, right? I mean, rich, fabulously wealthy. It's this pursuit of money. Money becomes the goal. Money's the end. It's the result. It's the thing that we want to get to. My guess is that some of us uh, have had or even have an idea uh, in our head of, man, if I can make this salary level, I'll be sitting pretty. I'll be okay. I won't have to worry about money. I'll be comfortable. I'll be rich. I'll be whatever it is. If I made that much money in my annual income, or I, if I have saved or invested this much money, I'll be set. I, I, had, a, I had a figure like that in my head early in my adulthood. And, um, you know, it's funny that funny thing is, is when you get to that number and you pass it, all of a sudden you have a new number. Yeah, yeah, funny how that works. But I, I guess there's another question that I think about uh, sometimes, and maybe it's a good thing for us to wrestle with just a little bit, is what is money for anyway? What is money for? I, I mean, in terms of, yeah, it's to purchase goods and services. I get that the meaning of it. What's it for? Ultimately, what's it about? I mean, because we spend a lot of time thinking about it, talking about it, pursuing it, and yet it's something that can't deliver things that we so much want in our life, right? It can't, it can't carry the weight of things that we want it to carry. It can't deliver the things that we want it to deliver. It can't provide a sense of self-worth, even though sometimes we think it will. It can't um, provide a sense of belonging. And as we heard, it certainly can't buy you love. It can't do that. But man, we sure pursue it. So maybe, maybe we have to think about the, our, our usual way of thinking about money. We tend to think about money in a, in a linear fashion, right? I need to have this education or this training and then have this experience so I can get that job and then I can get that job and then I can move to wherever it is and have that job and I'm making more and more money all along the way. And then, you know, money. <laughs> Where we'll be secure, we'll be happy, we'll be rich, we'll be whatever. Well, maybe there's another way to think about the path of money. In, in, the, in that scripture that Sandy read a little bit ago, Paul made the case that the path with money is actually a circular path. 
actually a circular path, not linear. It's a circular path where money has a role and a relationship, yes, in this path. But it's not the goal. That's a really different way of looking at it. That, that understand that what we have is a gift entrusted to us. That it's a, it's, it's a gift. It's God's grace that we have received. It's, not a, it's, it's something that, that we have to, uh, to use in this lifetime. I mean, right? Because then, then we can't use it at all. <laughs> so it's entrusted to us in this lifetime. It's, and he talks about it in the sense of grace. It is a gift that is given to us. And so it becomes, the so money becomes the means, not the end, becomes the means by which, yes, we acquire what we need, and we share it with those who don't have to help them in their moment, to help them in their life, things that they just they can't make it happen, which, which would be consistent with the teaching of God to God's people for about, oh, about the last 3,000 years. Take care of those less fortunate in your community. Often in the, in the uh, Old Testament especially, it was talking about widows and orphans because those were the most vulnerable, the most helpless folks in that culture. So with what you have, with the grace God has given you, you can share that to those who have less. And then Paul says what happens is it results in praise and thanksgiving to God who continues to provide grace to us. There's a scripture, if I had had Sandy read just one verse earlier, she would have read this quote where Paul quotes Psalm 112. And he says, as it is written, he, meaning God, scattered everywhere. He gave to the needy. His righteousness remains forever. Now, scattered. You know, what that brings to my mind is that uh, passage in uh, Matthew, the, the parable of the seed and the sower. Uh, and it talked about the seeds, the ground it, they fall on. I mean, when you hear that, you read that, if you're thinking about it in terms of agriculture, well, this is, this is a terrible practice. Because these seeds are falling on the road, they're falling among the rocks, they're falling among the weeds. And some fall on good, good soil. Well, what that's intended to be is an analogy of how God scatters grace everywhere. And so as we receive grace and resources, we can share that with others. That is a praise and thanksgiving to God, and God continues to share with us grace in this circular kind of fashion. This is fulfilling the ministry of reconciliation that he was talking about in chapter 5. Because he's... He's appealing to the Corinthian church in, in chapters 8 and 9 here. He's appealing to them because, well, the church in Corinth, or as we say in the Metroplex, Corinth. He's appealing to the church in Corinth to, uh, uh, to share their, their uh, grace with the Christians in Jerusalem. Because Corinth is a prosperous city. There is a sea port so there's trade coming in by sea, and there are trade routes that go through that, that region. And so there is money coming in and out all the time at that area. And so he's saying, with, what, with the way God has graced you, let's take this collection to help our Christian brothers and sisters in Jerusalem who don't have that and no way to get it. And when you do that, that will create praise and thanksgiving to God who continues to scatter grace everywhere. That's what he's trying to do and trying to help them to see that circular path where God 
takes our, the resources we have shared with others to multiply them. So uh, most, many of you know that the founder of the Methodist movement was a guy named John Wesley, lived in England in the, eight, in the 18th century. And he was a very, very practical man. He was very practical about everything. And he said uh, a lot of things about money, as well as a whole bunch of other things. And, and he has kind of a famous saying about money. So about money, John Wesley said, make all you can. You bet, make all you can. With, with, your, with, with, your, uh, with your brains and with your, and with your hard work and with the, the breaks that fall your way and with, yeah, make all you can, you bet. Second statement, save all you can. So be wise about how you use that money. Don't just, you know, get paid, spend it all. Save all that you can. But then the third one, give all you can. Make all you can, save all you can, and give all you can. Those resources are a gift that we have to use in our, in our lifetime. And there can be things that just to take care of our own needs and to take care of the needs of others. Now, wow, introduce that into a conversation with somebody about money. You know, John Wesley said to make all you can, save all you can, give all you can. What does that giving look like, do you think? What would that giving mean if we as Christians, we as a nation, in our whatever, what if we looked at it that way? What would that mean? What would that look like? You know, on our money, uh, it has the motto, uh, in God we trust. In God we trust. And that's been there for a number of years um, on coins, because in the treasury, these are two different departments, coins and the, paper and the bills. Um, and so, uh, in the coins, late 19th century, it kind of started before and during the Civil War, that became a very common and popular motto that people were using. So they, they, they decided they wanted to put on coins, at least, in God we trust. And that, now, that took the place of e pluribus unum which is a Latin phrase, which means out of many, one. Out of many, one. E pluribus unum, there are 13 letters, Latin letters, and that, and that corresponds to the original 13 colonies. And so the idea was out of many, we are one country. That was the idea. Which, which that too would be consistent with some teaching in the Bible. I mean, what's interesting is, is that we took off e pluribus unum to put in God we trust. And as I keep thinking about it, I think, why, don't, why aren't both of them on there? Why aren't both of them on there? Sure, in God we trust. And, this isn't either or, this is both and. And, God is at work from many to create one. This is the ministry of reconciliation, that God is reconciling all things through God's self, through God's presence, to be with God so that we can fulfill someday that vision that's in Revelation 22 of the new heaven and the new earth where all people will be gathered in God's presence. All people. God is about making many one. And in God we trust. 
Seems like there's room for both. So in terms of thinking about money for Christians specifically, this, it's not just about accumulating all that we can. It's not about just being having an extravagant lifestyle. It's grace. It's grace. We've been graced with the things that we have and what we can earn going forward, and that can be used certainly for our own needs and for needs of others who will praise and thank God who continues to scatter grace extravagantly among us. Now you have that image. Now you have that vision of a different way of looking at money instead of just a line to get to more money. It's, part, it's a means to how we can work with God to make the world a better place. Pray with me. God, we're grateful for your generosity and your goodness. We are truly amazed at your grace because it is always amazing. When we consider the resources that we have in our lives, though they may be very large or may they be very humble, we know these are gifts from you. We pray that you will help us to use them wisely. Pray that you will also help us to see how we can share of those resources that we can give in ways that will help others who are struggling. Because God, we know that you are reconciling all of us to yourself. All of us. Not just Americans. All people. And so God, we look forward to joining that day in that new heaven and new earth where we can experience all being together in your presence. Where your grace will truly abound magnificently. We thank you for the ways that you've been speaking to us today, speaking to our hearts and our minds in ways that have maybe not been words that have been spoken or printed, but we know they're from your still small voice. May we hear and do in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Stonebridge United Methodist Church. You are invited to worship with us every Sunday morning at 10 a.m. For more information, visit our website, mysumc.org. Have a blessed day.